we jump in this morning, and uh, if, uh, as we look and think this morning, we continue in our theme that we've been looking at over the last uh, five weeks here, and that's a series that we've called Adventually. Advent is kind of a, a calendar kind of thing. It's a season in which we uh, look forward, we anticipate, we go through the habit of, of looking ahead to Christ's coming. And uh, we have, uh, in our Core 52 uh, reading and our study, we've kind of gone to the Old Testament and we've looked at a lot of the promises that God made about who Jesus would be, um, and all under the theme of Advent. But one of the things that these texts all highlight is that there's a waiting. God makes a promise, and, and it's, it could be hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ would come. And, and, and that's not a thing that you and I need to take lightly, because we are all in times of waiting. We're waiting for God to do things or to work things or for Christ to return again. And so uh, that habit is a good one for us to be in. And today we look at um, a theme that runs uh, throughout the Old and New Testament, um, it's the idea that Christ is our cornerstone. But to talk about the cornerstone, you have to talk about a cornerstone that was rejected because of where our memory verse takes us today. There are, if you've ever received a rejection letter, a rejection from a person, uh, you know that there are a few words that sting as bad as the experience of rejection. To be rejected by a spouse or by a parent or a child, or a friend, or a community can hurt as bad as anything in life. And there is a reason that when you look at reasons where uh, people do these polls, where they, they measure the amount of stress, or anxiety, or emotional uh, energy that's brought about by different life experiences, and there are reasons that divorce registers as high as death does on those kinds of scales. It's because being rejected is a painful thing, and it hurts. To be rejected is an experience that wounds us deeply and shapes us in profound ways. Sometimes those changes are, are really negative, but sometimes those changes, through times of pain and anguish and hurt, can bring about positive things in our life. And so today we look at this theme that Jesus was a rejected cornerstone. And so I want us to begin by understanding and reminding ourselves of the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, was rejected. He knows rejection. John chapter 1 verses 10 and 11 summarizes and reminds us of, of just Jesus' whole life experience when it says that he was in the world. Jesus was in the world and the world was made through him. He made it all. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. A world that he made didn't welcome him. In fact, it rejected him. And so you can't really tell the story of Jesus without talking about the many rejections that he faced leading up to the final and total rejection of the cross. The New Testament summarizes the ministry of Jesus with this Old Testament quote. It was your memory verse this week um, from Psalm 118, verse 22, that said, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. If you've ever gone out to your scrap pile, if you have a scrap pile around your house, and you've looked through the scrap pile and found things, you found pieces of wood or items that you have turned into something beautiful and good, you know this verse. Because a stone that God gave to his people, Israel, was rejected. They cast it aside. And yet God went and picked up that stone and he placed it 
and he made it the centerpiece, the foundation upon which everything that he was going to do and is doing and will do uh, is built. And so the metaphor of a stone rejected but chosen by God to build his new work in this world becomes an important teaching point. It becomes a metaphor that you and I need to, to know and to get a clear mentor, mental picture of. And so I have a picture. This is kind of a cornerstone um, I don't know where it's from, but it's a building. You see this lots of different places. You go into any major building, and there's a stone that tends to sit in the corner of that building. It's a cornerstone. Um, and there's, if you search for what is a cornerstone, um, there's lots of places, Wikipedia and Bible things online you can find. Let me just show you a few of them, just so you get the fullness of what this metaphor is trying to tell you about who Jesus is and your faith. The first one is this. I think this is Wikipedia's definition of a cornerstone, so it can't be wrong, right? And so the cornerstone or the foundation stone or setting stone is the first stone set in the construction of a masonry foundation. All other stones will be set in reference to this stone, thus determining the position of the entire structure. Someone else describes a cornerstone in these words. In relation to architecture, a cornerstone is traditionally the first stone laid for a structure with all other stones laid in reference to this one. A cornerstone marks the geographical location by orienting a building in a specific direction. Cornerstones have been around for millennia in some shape or form. Somebody else describes it this way. The cornerstone or foundation stone of an edifice in ancient times was a perfectly squared stone from which the remainder of the building could be plumbed, squared, and leveled. It provided the builder a point of departure or reference which ensured that the structure would be properly built. And finally, back to the Bible's uh, teaching on this, has a quote about this. It says, historically, the cornerstone was the most important part of any building. The total weight of an edifice rested on this particular stone. So if it was removed, the building would collapse, the structure would collapse. The cornerstone was also the key to keeping the walls straight. The builders would take sidings along the edges of this part of the building. If the cornerstone was not set properly, the stonemasons could be assured that all the other corners of the building um, if, this, if it was set properly, the stonemasons could be assured that all other corners of the building would be at the appropriate angles as well. Thus, the cornerstone became a symbol for that which held life together. So when the Bible describes in the metaphor of Jesus being a cornerstone, it's describing him as a very, very important piece, isn't it? And so when the Bible in Isaiah 28, verse 16, describes who Jesus would be hundreds of years before he came, but this uh, prediction looking forward to him, Isaiah would write, therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I am placing a foundation stone in Jerusalem, a firm and tested stone. It is a precious cornerstone that is safe to build on, and whoever believes need never be shaken." Paul later in the New Testament would pick up on this imagery of Christ being our cornerstone. And he would say this, that consequently you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but you are now fellow citizens with God's people and all members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. And so the reason that you and I have a faith and a Bible and all the things that we do in our faith is built upon a cornerstone 
And then the apostles of Jesus came and laid a foundation around that, and we build upon that in our lives and as a church. And so Jesus, throughout his teaching ministry in a couple of different places, would refer back to Psalm 118 to talk about himself as a cornerstone. And in this parable in Matthew 21, uh, Jesus um, is in a confrontation with religious leaders. He's really trying to confront them because they want to kill him. They hate him. They want him gone. Um, they're in the process of rejecting the cornerstone. And yet Jesus would use stories uh, to confront them with. And he does that in Matthew 21. It says this at the beginning in verse 33. Here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it. And then he dug a wine press in it and he built a tower. And then he leased out that property and he went away to another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit as, it was, as a payment, right? Part of the lease is you pay me part of what, what you produce. And so the tenants, though, instead of paying up, they took his servants and they beat one. They killed another and they stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did the same to them. And finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him, and they threw him out of the vineyard, and they killed him. So when, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, and he, Jesus asked the question of, of the Pharisees, Sadducees that he's in confrontation with, what will he do to those tenants? And they said to him correctly, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let them out of the vineyard and, and, uh, and, and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. And Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected, here's our verse, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will, not be, will be taken away from you, and it will be given to a people producing its fruit. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. And so Jesus, in this confrontation with his adversaries, um, uses this imagery that of himself as the cornerstone. Rejected, but God is going to use him, in spite of the rejection, to do his work. The story, that theme, that metaphor continues on. It was important teaching, apparently, in the early church because Peter uses it again in Acts chapter 4, just after he and John have been arrested, threatened, um, and in the course of defending himself, he says this in Acts 4, verses 8 and following. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, these are the same people that Jesus was just talking to in many aspects. If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, in order to read chapter 3, they healed a crippled man um, and drew a lot of attention to start all this. By what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And so Peter applies it 
to them very clearly. There's nothing that he's not beating around the bush at all. It's like, look, Jesus was the, the son that was sent. You rejected him. Uh, he became the stone that God went and now he builds around. And he finishes with the famous verse, and there is salvation in no one else, for there was no other name under heaven. All that he would do and build going forward. And so God redeems Christ's rejection through resurrection. And in doing so, he gives us a couple of helpful perspectives as we wrestle with rejection in our own lives. And so uh, let's kind of apply this with a couple of things here. All of us wrestle with rejection at some level. Some of it in pretty deep and significant ways. Others, maybe not in quite as deep of levels, but Rejection is a part of life, right? We, we all face it. We all deal with it in different ways, shapes, and forms. And so out of that teaching, the fact that God took Christ and that the whole story of Christ is really centered around rejection, there are a couple of things I think that ought to help us. And the first is simply this. I think there is a comforting truth for those who wrestle with the weight of rejection, if you have ever walked down the path that rejection has been a major part of a time of your life, maybe it's as a kid and someone that you loved so that, that rejected you and that was painful and you still bear the scars of that. Or maybe as an adult, you've gone through things and, and you know what the weight of rejection feels like. This is a comforting truth because the story of Christ, you, you can't tell it without telling about rejection. And so Jesus knows that hurt well, and God worked well in that situation. When you hold your wound from the rejections that you have faced, Jesus can compassionately say to you, I know that hurts, and you can identify with me, and I can identify with you. I read this week in Luke chapter 12, um, and there's an interesting verse in which Jesus is talking about his upcoming crucifixion. He's talking about the rejection, the ultimate rejection that we've been looking at. And I found it interesting what he said in Luke chapter 12, verse 49 and 50. Jesus said, I came to cast fire on the earth, and I, I would, I wish that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and, and he's talking about his crucifixion. He's talking about his death, that, that undergoing that terrifying experience of that. But listen to what he finishes this with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Jesus lived with this, I don't think fear is the right word, it's not the right word, but he lived with this growing realization, this growing dread, maybe we might say, this distress of knowing what was coming. He knew where his life would end, and he wasn't looking forward to it. He knew ultimately he'd be rejected and he'd be crucified. And I read those words, and as I was preparing for this, I thought, how comforting that is to us. Because some of us live with the distress, with the pain, with the worry, with the scars of rejection. And so, um, Caitlin... Uh, <laughs> Every time I say her word, name out loud, I want to say placenta, but that's not her last name. It's Plancina is what her name is. I'm sorry if I butchered her name, but every time I've read that this week, it's, I've said the wrong word in my head. So forgive me for that. But uh, anyway, Fran Caitlin had a wonderful blog a few years ago that I found that helped me, um, and she probably feels rejected because I butchered her name. So here we go. But Jesus can comfort us all and all that. So, but she mentions in this blog a number of ways in which Jesus' life story... Um, 
just identifies with some of the things that you and I go through when we think in the terms of rejection. How about this, that Jesus faced rejection from family members. John chapter 7 verse 5 talks about that not even his brothers believed in him. Um, There's other places in scripture where they come to get Jesus because they think he's just crazy. He was rejected oftentimes when he dies on the cross. Apparently none of his brothers are there. His mom is there, but his brothers are not there. They're not there to be with him in his last moments. And so in many ways, his earthly life, he wrestled with that rejection, that struggle with family members. Or Jesus faced rejection from his community. In Matthew chapter 13, um, it talks about how his family and his friends took offense at him. Uh, Jesus would use phrases like, uh, with, uh, in your hometown, there's no honor for you. And, and they threatened to kill him. They tried to kill him, actually, in, in one of the things that he did. In his own community, he was rejected because of his claims and his teachings and his things he did. Um, Jesus faced rejection from people who once claimed to love him. Three years he spent with Judas, and yet on the night that he is betrayed, it was someone, it wasn't a distant person, it was someone close to him who betrayed him. Jesus faced rejection from his father. Um, Jesus, as he looked in dread or distress towards what was coming, um, in Matthew 26, 38, says that he is very sorrowful even to death because he knew what was coming. And on the cross, he would utter those terrible words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus understood that feeling. But the beauty of all of that is that not only does he understand it, but more importantly, because he gets it, God works in the process and he works in the context so often of rejection. In fact, she finishes her blog post by talking about how um, the very need for the gospel is about rejection. The very need, the very fact that the gospel exists speaks into our rejection because what is the gospel it's about it's addressing this problem that we have that we have sinned against God we have rejected God we have sinned against God and the gospel comes to begin to cure that and fix that and to speak into that and bring grace into those places where rejection has taken hold and done its damage and the fact that we can stand before God forgiven and loved and secure and well and whole means to us that God can bring good things out of and in the midst of the pain of rejection. And so there is a beautiful thing in that. And so if you, maybe this is a season, oftentimes family dynamics are magnified in a season like Christmas, and maybe some of those feelings of rejection or those struggles from the past, maybe they get highlighted in this season. But I hope that you would draw near to the Lord, that you would bring that wound to him and be willing to say, Lord, I know that you are not a stranger to this feeling, to this pain of rejection. And I feel that. I wrestle with that. I hurt with that. I'm broken by that. And so God, just as the Lord used Christ's ultimate rejection to bring grace and salvation to the world, would you do something in the midst of that for me? And so that's the, that's the softer side of this. But there's a second side to this that I think that is not as fun to look at, but it's necessary. I, the second thing I would look at is this, that just as there's a comfortable truth that Christ was familiar with rejection, there's an uncomfortable truth for those who wish to walk in the way of Jesus. 
there's an uncomfortable truth hidden in all of these dynamics as you look at Jesus' story was so much about rejection because this isn't just the path of Jesus. This is the path that those who follow Jesus are probably going to face as well. Following Jesus, in Jesus' own words, involves a cross. And rejection in different times and places in your life may be a part of that cross. This week, if you did your Core 52 reading, you heard words like this, that, that this is a universal biblical principle. Humiliation precedes exaltation. Throughout the Bible, humiliation and exaltation go hand in hand. Just as Jesus' life ended with humiliation as a precursor to exaltation in his birth, we're celebrating this Christmas season, we see both his humiliation, right, uh, the most humble of, of births, and also exaltation with wise men honoring him as king and things like that. Just when his enemies thought they'd rid themselves of Jesus, come to find out the humiliation that they caused him on the cross was essential to bringing and establishing him as king of kings. And so he concludes, as followers of Christ, our path of exaltation, our path to glory is the same rugged road of trials and tears. That's not what we like to hear though, is it? (laughs) We like a Jesus that is comfortable and clean and easy to follow. And yet Jesus doesn't offer that to us. The whole story of Christmas, the whole story of Easter, death, resurrection, involves that humiliation before exaltation. And so allowing Christ to be in our feelings and our experiences of rejection and to do a greater work may be part of what God wants to do in us. And God uses times of rejection to change us and to grow us if we are willing And the verses that we've looked at today describe some of that and some of the phrases that we've hinted at. And and so I just want to look back at a few of them as we finish this and and just ask ourselves some questions about um, are we really allowing the story of Christ and what Christmas means to really transform us? In Luke chapter 12, we read the verse a moment ago where Jesus said, I I know what's coming and I have got this distress about this. But if you keep reading in the very next things that Jesus says in Luke 12, in the beginning of verse 51, you find him say this, do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father and mother against daughter and daughter against mother and mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And what's Jesus talking about? He's talking about that, that not everybody is going to follow at the feet of Jesus to worship. And because of that, there's going to be these tensions. Jesus did come to bring peace on earth. That's what the angels announced. But so much of that, that peace lives within us and it may not always be around us. Because if you keep reading the story of Jesus, you keep reading the story of his disciples, and on through history, you find that so many followers of Jesus, they have great peace within them. They know whose hands and whose uh, life they are in, and they are peaceful in that. But oftentimes, their external circumstances may be full of trials and struggles and difficult things, um, and that can be so hard. And rejection may be part of that. That's what Jesus is implying in that. That because one person believes, another doesn't, there may be a sense of rejection from one to the other. And so what are we thinking about here today? Um, There is a a verse that we read in Matthew 21 
that I've been thinking about for part of the week here and trying to figure out what I do with it. It's at the end of Matthew 21. It's actually in verse 44. Um, look at it with me again. It says, Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. Talking to the religious leaders. And then he uses this phrase. It's an Old Testament quote. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Earlier this year, um, we were um, able to go to Colorado and see some friends. And uh, my friend loves to go like distance running, but he doesn't do it on roads. He does it like on trails through mountains. And so it's brutal and it's fun, but it was, he decided, um, hey, on the weekend, why don't we go run a half marathon? Why not? We've got nothing else to do. Why let's go do that? And so um, we tried to do this, and uh, it was somewhere near Aspen. There's probably blood pools where I, I fell in all kinds of things. But, but along the way, it was fine about half, two-thirds of the way there. But then I got so tired, and we started to come back downhill. And, and running downhill is pretty hard sometimes. And, and it was a trail that was more like a ditch. And so there's the rocks that would be sticking out from this ditch. And it, was, it, was, it had been frosty that morning, and the sun was out, and so it was getting muddy. And I continued to, to trip over stones. And eventually I bit it really bad because I got a hold of a stone really bad and I ended up upside down in the mountains and um, the bears laughed at me. So uh, it was not pleasant. And so when you have had moments where you have come in contact with a stone, uh, you know that the stone probably wins most of the time. There aren't many stories of, of me falling on the stone and the stone breaks to pieces. And that's what Jesus is talking about to these religious leaders about this. It's kind of a, a judgment kind of thing that when you come face to face with Jesus, when you come in contact with Jesus, that there's a good chance it's going to break you. And, and I don't mean that. I can mean that in two different ways. I can be broken by contact with Jesus in a good, healthy, healing way. He can break away old patterns of sin. He can break away old things in me that don't need to be there. He can break me. It's not pleasant. It's not fun. It is a, a, a humbling, a humiliation kind of thing, but it leads to exaltation, right? It leads me to be better because Christ is formed in me when I'm broken. But too often I come to Jesus and, and I want the option where I come to Jesus and Jesus just says, you do you. You just do whatever you want to do, and I'll, I'll just put my stamp of approval on whatever you want to think, do, or be, and that's not Jesus. If that's what you think Jesus is, then that's not who Jesus is. <laughs> but that option isn't there, and so we have the option to run into Jesus and be broken in a healthy, healing way, or as he finishes that, when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. And that's the context in which Jesus speaks to these religious leaders that eventually this rock that you rejected, it will crush you. You will have to deal with that. It will, and that's a judgment statement to them. And so I, I just would ask this question as you get ready for Christmas this week. Are you being broken and changed by Jesus? Is your experience with Jesus one in which you are continually bumping up against his holiness and his awesomeness and his love and his calling on your life and you're being broken and changed by that. And if not, it may be time to take a step back and repent and to be changed and to approach Jesus with a different heart. And so one of the things that I think this whole stone conversation talks about is it's a challenge to us to consider how do we approach him. 
Well, there's another verse. So that's one of the questions. Are you being broken and changed in your approach to Jesus? Is he changing you to be more like him? There's another verse, though. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 says this. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So Peter picks up on what we looked at earlier in Acts chapter 4. He says, hey, we're being built up. And each one of you, each one of us are little stones that are being built on that cornerstone, that foundation of the apostles. And we're being built into this house, into this temple where God's presence is seen and felt and experienced. And I would just ask you this question. What are you building your worth and your life upon? In this season, there are so many things that you can build your worth and life upon. I would encourage you to go back and read the whole of Psalm 118 this week. Um, I was going to use that for this week, but went this direction instead and can't do both. But in that passage, there's a right before it gets to that place where the stone the builders rejected is talking about being in great need and, and facing rejection and facing struggles. And there's a verse in there that says, we don't trust in, in, in horses, we don't trust in princes, we don't trust in all the things of the world, all the things that are impressive and important to the world. And you can build your life on those things. But Jesus would say, though, that's a, a sandy foundation. Are you building your life upon the cornerstone? Are you building your worth upon the cornerstone? I think it's in Matthew chapter 10 where Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's going to send them out on a little mini ministry uh, to kind of have to give them some experience before he leaves them. And in one of the places he talks about, you go to a place and you preach and they don't want to have anything to do with what you say. They completely reject you. They don't want anything to do with what you have to say. If their worth was built upon, oh, I've got to do this well. I've got to be accepted by the people. I need their response because that's what my worth is based upon. That's not what Jesus says. He says, if they reject you, walk outside of town, shake the dust off your feet, and walk on. How do you do that? Well, you have your worth built upon something different than the approval of people or the response of people or your talents and skills. You have your worth built upon, well, this is Jesus' thing. He's got it. I'll just do what he says. And so what are you building your worth in life upon in this Christmas season? And last but not least... Matthew 21, verse 24. We read this before. Jesus said to them, Have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And I love this last phrase. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. There's a phrase in the Bible that appears from time to time that God uses to describe how he takes our really broken and messed up things and he brings beautiful things out of him. And it's the idea of beauty out of ashes. And so when I read that phrase that this was the Lord's doing, that a stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Um, and now we sing songs. We do all these things that describe that moment, right? We love the story of a Christ who was crucified for us, who was rejected, but God redeemed that. And he brought beauty out of the ashes of Christ's rejection, and so you may not have a grand story like crucifixion, resurrection, but I'll bet you there are some places that are important to your heart and your soul and your life that have a lot of ashes in them. There's a lot of broken places, of broken things around you. And I would just ask you the question, will you let the Lord bring beauty out of the ashes in your life?
Those places where rejection maybe has stung you, has hurt you, has broken you. The good news of all of this is that God works really, really well in those places. His hands are not tied. His eyes are not closed. In fact, he specializes in walking into those broken and defeated and rejected places and bringing new life where there was broken things and dead things. Um, And Jesus is lifted up as the example of that. And so I would just ask you to be honest with God today. Are there places in your life where you would say, hey, this is a place where rejection from XYZ situation has really drugged me down. And it's easy for me to be, have a negative view of myself or to have a negative view of life or I, I treat people a certain way because of that. Um, maybe God, it's time to open it up and say, God, it's time to come in and let's, to, let's take a journey. It may be a dark and a painful journey, but I need to be honest with you because I want you to bring beauty out of the ashes of what has been burned down in my life. Psalm 18, I'll finish with this passage. Psalm 18, verse 22 through 24. This is the verse we read before, but if you keep reading, it has a verse that shows up on lots of your coffee cups and lots of different things like that. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. We just read that. And then here's the verse that shows up on lots of coffee cups and and Christian uh, stuff. The Lord has done it this very day, so let us rejoice today and be glad. Another of the versions say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. That's kind of the same theme. This is where that verse comes from, that idea comes from. Just a little different language. And so it can be true every day that this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. That's a great truth. Every day you wake up, so go with that. But this verse is really in the context of God has taken broken and rejected things and he has made glorious things, marvelous things out of them in his work and his ways. And so I'll rejoice especially today in that. And so my prayer for you and for myself is that as we walk through this story of Christmas this season, that we would be able to look at what God has done through our broken places through things that when we lived them, they were hellish, they were awful, they were terrifying, they were difficult. But we look back now and we would echo the psalmist, look what the Lord has done. This is marvelous in my eyes. The Lord has done it this very day, so I will rejoice today and be glad. May that be the fruit of your life as you surrender to the cornerstone and build your life upon him. Would you pray with me, please? Father God, we uh, thank you for your care. We thank you that your love goes so far as to even touch us and reach us in the most broken places of our life. And even those places where we have wrestled with uh, rejection, being defeated, uh, and that can be really hard, God. And sometimes we build little walls around those places in our souls. We just don't want to go there because it's so painful. But God, I pray that we would see that the gospel can reach even there. And as we open our hearts, as we knock down those walls and we let you come in and we begin to talk and pray and read and and learn and share, that those really bad and broken places can become places of great beauty. And so, Father, I just pray in this season that we wouldn't just go through all the glitz and glamour, 
but we would really stop and think, God, where are the places where rejection has, has impacted my heart and soul? And where do I need the love and the grace and the new work of Christ to come and, and to begin to change my attitude and to change my view of myself and to change all of those things? God, would you help us to be an open book in that way in this season? that we might experience the joy of Christ in this season um, through ways like that. And so, Father, thank you for your love. We are thankful that there is life in rejection. There is resurrection when even crucifixion has happened. And so, Father, as we finish here today, we just thank you for what Christ has done for us. Thank you that he was willing to face such humiliation on a cross in the hope of, in the faith in resurrection. And so, Father, may we be willing to walk down some of those hard roads like Jesus did, carrying our own cross in our own ways with your help so that we might experience that new life, that exaltation that comes as Christ works. And so, Father, examine our hearts today. Show us wayward ways. Show us ways we are afraid. Show us places we are worried. Show us those places, God, and, and do your good work in them. We love you, and we thank you for this season that we celebrate Christ and what he's done for us. We pray these things in his beautiful, marvelous name.